chapter 10, please. And tonight, we're going to be talking about something I believe is going to help everybody. Amen. We are, uh, how many of y'all want the abundant life? How many are living the abundant life? I'm going to wait till everybody's turning in their Bibles and have found the place, and then I'm going to ask that question again. How many want to live the, the abundant life? And now let me ask you the next question. How many of you are living the abundant life? I, I mean, seriously, you are living the abundant life. Some of you are having to think about it. Well, God wants you to be living the abundant life. He does. That's his will. He came to give you life and that more abundantly. And there are things, though, that hinder that in all of us. They are called phobias. They're phobias. They're fears that we live with that steal that. The thief comes before to steal, to kill, and destroy. But the Lord says, I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. And the thief is not just, you know, the devil, the spirit. It's, it's phobias that come and steal from us the abundant life that God has for us. And tonight we're going to be focusing on phobia of people. Having a fear of people in your life. And what happens when you have a fear of people? Praise the Lord. Already got your attention. Thank you, God. Aren't you glad you know him? In Luke chapter 10... In verse 25, how many have ever been afraid of people? You have a phobia of people sometimes, a fear of people. People scare you. Then you need this message. And so do I. Luke 10, 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life now we talk about a lawyer we're not talking about the lawyer or attorney like we have today we're talking about somebody that understood and interpreted the first five books of the law they had it memorized and they interpreted it for people those were the lawyers of that day so this particular lawyer stands up and he's but he's tempting the lord saying master what shall i do to inherit eternal life he said unto him what is written in the law how readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? They had been debating that forever. And, are, and still are. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him. 
and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, the Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and sat him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? He's asking the lawyer that question. And he said, this being the lawyer, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. Go and do thou likewise. Or literally go do what you have not been doing and keep doing it. Wow. God's going to talk to us tonight. Got quiet. Why do y'all get so quiet? Okay, praise the Lord. Y'all ready? Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. A phobia of people will cause you to not experience the abundant life that God has for you. And I want to first begin, give you a definition, and please listen very carefully to the definition of fear. The Greek meaning of fear, phobos, Strong's number 5401 means to run from or to be in terror. So if you've got a fear, it will cause you to flee. It will cause you to run. You're always on the run. You're always trying to escape. Are you with me here? That's fear, phobos, to be in terror. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is yare. It's number 907, and this is the Theological Dictionary of the Old Testament, number 907. Yahweh. Now listen very carefully, okay? Because there's different meanings to fear. There's good fear and there's bad fear. There's good phobia and there's bad phobia. In fact, it talks about Noah being moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. So fear is a good thing sometimes. But tonight I'm going to be talking about it in the negative side. But let me give you what this word yare means. Five different things. Number one, the emotion of fear. Number two, the intellectual anticipation of evil without emphasis upon the emotional reaction. But you are anticipating something that's going to come intellectually, some evil that's going to come Number three, reverence or awe or respect or honor, okay? Reverence, awe, respect or honor. Number four, righteous behavior or piety. Righteous behavior or piety or godliness. Number five, formal religious worship. Did you get those five? 
Number one, emotion of, emotion of fear, intellectual anticipation of evil without emphasis upon the emotional reaction. Number two. Number three, reverence or awe, respect or honor. Number four, righteous behavior or piety. Number five, formal religious worship. And, another, and some words that are connected to this a word also means to quake or to shake. Now, having given you those, those definitions, we're going to look at these passages tonight and understand something about phobia or fear. Fear will cause you to run. It will literally paralyze your life. And there are a lot of different phobias. There's a phobia of people. There is a fear of financial failure. And we're going to talk about a lot of these phobias. God's leading us. This is... An area that's kind of new for me, so you're going to pray for me. But there's a lot of phobias. Fear of people. Fear of financial failure. Fear of heights. Fear of being alone. All of, a lot of different phobias. You with me here? But tonight specifically, we're going to be dealing with fear of people. When you talk about this, whenever we go to the Gospel of Luke, the Bible says that this lawyer stands up. And he wants to tempt the Lord. And he asks the Lord a question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then so the Lord in turn asks him a question. What does the law say? He says, well, he starts out about talking about loving God. Right? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And then, number two, thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus says, looks at him and says, you have rightly said. That is true. That's what the law says. The problem is, is that who is thy neighbor? Are you with me? Who is thy neighbor? Neighbor means somebody that's near to you or somebody that's close to you. And so, believe it or not, the religious world of this day debated who the neighbor was. And they had done this since the law was given. They had got together and had debates about who was the neighbor that God was talking about here that they were to love. Does it, you know, it means near to you or close to you, but does it mean the person that lives next to you? Physically clo physical closeness? Is that what it's talking about? Physical closeness? Person that's physically close to you, living next door to you, or across the street from you? Or is it your husband and your wife, your kids? Who is it? Is it the person that you work with that's close to you on the job? Is that your neighbor? And they got together and they debated theological, theologically that question. They also thought, well, maybe it's not physical nearness that God's talking about or closeness he's talking about. Maybe it has to do with faith. Faith. People who have the same faith as you do. Is your neighbor. People who believe it like you believe it. And everybody else is not your neighbor. Only those who believe like you believe. That's your neighbor. Okay. So the, to the Jews. Their neighbor was anybody that was basically Jewish. Or Israelite. And if you were a Pharisee. It became even more stricter. As to who your neighbor was. In fact, if you were a Pharisee and you met another Pharisee, you would always say, hello, neighbor. But nobody else. You wouldn't. If you were a Pharisee, you wouldn't greet a scribe that way. You wouldn't say, uh, 
to the Sadducee, hey, neighbor, hi, neighbor, how you doing? Because you were not a part of their fellowship. So if you weren't a part of their fellowship, then you weren't their neighbor. Even if you were Israelite or Jewish, you had to be a part of their little group to be their neighbor. That's the way they interpreted the law. Their neighbor is somebody who believed like they believed and everybody else was not their neighbor. So in turn, they didn't have to love anybody else. But only those that were close to them in their faith and their belief system. Are you here tonight? And then so Jesus, knowing the background of this culture here, he brings this parable of the good Samaritan to teach this lawyer about who his neighbor is. Now, what you need to understand is this, that the Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. And the reason why they hated each other was because they feared each other. They had a phobia about each other. That's why they hated each other. Are you with me tonight? Ooh, yeah, we're going to have a good time tonight. Number one, the Samaritans, if you go back in history, you'll remember the Samaritans, where they came from, was during the captivity. Israel was taken captive, and the foreign powers placed in their land people from different nations of the world. And these people from the different nations of the world got together and they had relationships together and they became known as the Samaritans. So they're a hodgepodge. They're the mongrel people. Hello. Well, don't get too excited about that. So are the United States of America. The citizens of the U.S. are the mongrel people. We are the mingled people. Hallelujah. And so, so the Samaritans were like that. They were a hodgepodge of all. They don't know. Who in the world knows where they came from? But you see, the Jewish people, they can, oh, they can point back to Abraham. They can go all the way back in their lineage to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. And we're not a mixture, you see. But you Samaritans are a mixed culture. You are mixed religion. You are just mixed up all together. And in the Jewish eyes and Jewish mind, they were really nothing. Nobodies. They were basically the scum of the earth. They really didn't even deserve to live in the eyes of a Jew. You understand? The problem is the Samaritans lived right smack dab in the middle of Israel's land. And so the question is, what in the world do we do with these mixed up people? That's the question of the Jews. What are we going to do with them? They're right in the middle of our land here. You know, we've got Jews on the south and Jews on the north. Except, you know what I'm saying, Israel in, in, in general. We got them right smack dab in the middle of us. And what in the world are we going to do with these mongrel people? Uh-oh. And so, you know, they're worried because maybe one of our daughters or maybe one of our sons just might fall for one of those Samaritans <sighs> and have a relationship with those Samaritans and our pureness will be gone 
And we will not be able in, in previous history, they thought this, not be able to produce the Messiah because our purity would be gone. So they're always intimidated by the Samaritans. Always afraid of them. They got a phobia of them. And then the Samaritans, on the other hand, they fear the Jews because the Jews, listen, they're concerned that at any time the Jews will come and take their land from them. So they're intimidated by the Jews and the Jews are intimidated by them. And so they're afraid of each other. And because of this fear, then you have this hatred you have the Jews discriminating against the Samaritans and hating them and looking at them as dogs not worthy to live. And the Samaritans worried about the Jews taking their land, what belongs to them, you know. So this fear is there in, this, in the background of this story. And then so what does Jesus do? Well, let me tell you a little bit later. Let me talk to you a little bit first. Praise God. What brought this fear about was the Samaritans, they could never live up to the expectation of the Jews. Never. Because they are the mixed people. They're the mongrel people. They don't have it together religiously. They don't have it together uh, ethnically. They don't have it together at all. And so they know they can't ever live up to the estim estimation of the Jews. Are you here tonight? Number one thing is this, what brings fear in your life concerning people is that you're always trying to find your worth in their eyes. Hallelujah. That's why you fear people because you're always, you want to see in them something that says you're worth something. So you go off to work, you go off to your job to have success. You go to school, go to school and take your, your, all your classes to do what? To have success. And the reason why you want to have success is so that somebody can look at you and say, you're worth something. You're important, you're valuable. Are you here? So you fear people. You got a phobia of people. And so you're trying to succeed so that you can see them smile. If I can put a smile on their face. Come on. Then I know I'm worth something. Praise the Lord. And so most people, they are driven that way. I'm talking about... I'm not saying the church should be that way. I'm saying that's the way we are sometimes. And that's the way the world is for sure. Trying to find worth based on what people think about you. And always being afraid about what people think or don't think about you all the time. Is having a phobia or a fear. And it motivates and it drives people today to be successful. So that somebody will smile and say wow. That person's something. Give God some praise. And so that fear, that phobia becomes a chain to them. Because they're always going through life trying to please people. To try to put a smile on somebody's face. So that when they can see that smile they feel validated. And they feel like they're worth something. 
You can't live like life like that. You can't always be trying to please people all the time. You can please some of the people some of the time, but you can never please all the people all of the time. And if you've got this phobia about people about you, you're always trying to please them all the time. And always looking for that little smile to come on their face. And then you go home happy, happy. Oh, I did a good job. See, my, my boss smile. Hallelujah. People look at me. They look up to me. And I'm important here. And I, I got my degree. Got my education. I'm never going to use it for anything. But you see, I didn't go get an education because I wanted to use it for anything. I went and got an education so I could say I was going to school. So somebody could say, "Woo." You know how many people go to, go to school and never use their education? Because they never went and got an education for the right reason to begin with. They got an education so they could be important. So they could have a self-importance about them and tell everybody about how smart they are. And everybody go, ooh, they're smart. And they happily go home with their little degree in hand. I'm not putting education down. I'm just telling you the truth. Run home with a degree in hand. Woo, hallelujah. Do you see what they thought about me? They got a phobia of people. Hello, somebody. You know I'm telling you the truth. How many people you know have gone to school and haven't used one bit of what they've learned? But they got a degree. How, are you here tonight? Why? Because that success in the eyes of people is what they live for. Whoa. You don't want me to talk. You don't want me to preach to you like this, do you? You don't want no practical stuff coming your way, do you? Praise God. It's the truth. So what we do is we try to find our purpose in life or mm, what makes us meaningful in the eyes of other people. So we fear them. And if they don't think we're highly about us and don't look at us right, then we don't feel like we're anything. Because our meaning for life is being a people pleaser. And we've missed it. Give God some praise. And what happens is this. When we live like that. And I'm not telling you to be disrespectful to your boss. And not have respect, you know. Don't walk up there and say, hey, bud, I'm not afraid of you. Because I got God in my life. You're messed up. What I'm telling you is do a good job and respect and have all for you, right, the people that you need to have. Okay, without being arrogant about it, about being prideful about it, about being having an air about it. But I'm telling you that you need to understand your sense of worth does not come from based on what you, even your boss thinks about you. Or what your peer thinks about you on the job. Oh, Hello. Or even what your wife thinks about you. Or even what your husband thinks about you. If you're looking for the meaning for life in somebody else, you're missing it. 
because you become possessive. That's right. You know why you become over-possessive? Let me talk about husbands and wives today. Husbands get real possessive with their wives sometimes. You know why? They have a phobia. They have a fear. Praise God. They want that wife to bow down and call him Lord. And if that wife is not bowing down and calling him Lord, he'll beat her. He'll dominate her. He'll control her and whip her into submission. Because he's finding his value or his meaning for existence in the way she responds to him. Hello, somebody. They've got a people phobia. They look for meaningful existence in their spouse and become over-possessive. Because, hey, you know what? If she rejects me, then she's taking my value away. Oh, come on. Nobody wants me to talk like this. Nobody's shouting and running tonight, are you? You know, and the women are saying, amen, that's right, pastor, my wife, my husband. I mean, he's got a ball and chain on my leg. You're talking to him. I give him, me, you know, purpose for living. It's all about me, you know. But then let me talk about the wives just for a little bit. The wives get over possessive with their husbands. And want all of his time and all of his attention. And if he doesn't give that to them, then they've been rejected. And they've got this fear of being rejected by another person. And because of that, then they throw their little tantrums. You don't show me enough time. You don't give me enough time. And that might be the case. And that might be true. But I'm telling you tonight, uh, you've got a phobia. If you have become over-possessive of that person, you're trying to find your meaningful existence in them. You're trying to find it in a smile on their face. And you can't bear the thought of being rejected by that person. Because if they reject you, your whole world is over with. Where did you get that? It's not all over if they reject you. It's not all over if you lost that job. It's not all over if that boss didn't like you. It's not all over if that person didn't like you. It's not all over. I tell you when it's all over. I tell you when it's over is if God is displeased with you. Praise God. That's why it says in Proverbs 1 and verse 7. Watch this. It says it. Tells you what to do with all this. Hello, somebody. I'm not preaching to anybody here tonight, am I? Ain't nobody here. I... Whoo, hello, somebody. And you know, by the way, it's the other person's fault. Yeah. It's the other person's fault. You make me mad. Nobody can make you mad. Do you know the word of God always puts it in your hands and in my hands? Nobody can make me mad. Nobody can make you mad. 
You have the choice. God put it in your hands. It's your choice to not get mad. It's your choice to not walk in fear. But they make me afraid. They reject me. and I, They make me mad, you know. Uh, that's not what the Bible says. It's in your hands. If you got mad, you wanted to get mad. If you didn't like something, you didn't like it because you didn't want to like it. Praise God. See, it's about time for everybody to own it. And stop pointing the finger at somebody else. See, that's the problem. You've got a people phobia. You're pointing your finger at everybody else. And you're saying, this is why I am like I am. Because of them. It's all their fault. No, it's not. Nobody made you who you are. You chose to be who you are. Give God some praise tonight. See, it's about time for us to get real with this stuff. If I didn't have this Samaritan around, I'd be all right. If they weren't living right smack dab in the middle of my land, I'd be all right. And the Samaritans, well, they're always discriminating against us. We're the minority and they're the majority. So the Jews, the Samaritans' problem. And from the Samaritans' point of view, it's the Jews' problem. So everybody's pointing the finger at each other. And God says, no, I'm pointing the finger at you. You got the phobia. You got the problem. The trouble is with you. You got problems on the job. Sick. Come on. Uh-oh. You don't. Fear the Lord. Walk with God. Obey the Lord and do a good job in respect, you see. But when you've got a people phobia, then what happens is this. Not only do you find it look in the wrong place for, for your meaning for living. But you also, anybody that comes on the scene that's going to take from you what you think is yours. Oh boy, you don't, I guess I go home. I'm the only one here tonight. Anybody that comes on the scene that has the potential to take your place. What do you do? You hate them. You know why you hate them? Because you fear them. And the word fear means to quake and to tremble, to have awe and respect. So here comes somebody. You know they got the ability to take your place. They qualify to take your place. And so you hate them because you're afraid of them. And you have this awe and this respect for them. The problem is, is with that awe and that respect or that fear, that reverence that you have for that person. You begin to have an estimation of yourself that is incorrect. I, they can do it, but I can't. Are you awake tonight? So we start walking in this fear of people because of what they can take from me. Because I'm not getting what I need to meet my needs. I'm afraid that somebody's going to take my position. So you're walking in fear. And the next step, what happens is you lash out. And you try to bring them down. 
because you have such a high reverence and respect and awe for them, a fear of them, that the only way that you can get them down in your mind is to cut them down. Come on, somebody. So the Jews got to cut down the Samaritans, and the Samaritans got to cut down the Jews because they have a fear of those people. But if we can, oh yeah, and so that's why we love garbage in America. We love garbage in America. We love to hear the smut. We love to hear the failures of people. We don't like other people to succeed. We don't want other people to be happy. Did you hear what I said? Because it's a threat to my happiness. And maybe they're going to get what belongs to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, come on. Don't look at me like that. And it's because we have that fear. Anytime somebody succeeds, we can't wait to get the garbage that they came short somewhere or they failed somewhere in the job yeah 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 I knew that was gonna happen I I knew yeah yeah they qualified yeah but yeah I knew they was gonna fail and we sat around and we gloat in the fact that they failed or that they stumbled you know why we do that because now we don't have to fear them anymore now I can bring down my thinking concerning them. I don't have to have them in such awe and respect and reverence now because they failed. And that's why the Lord world loves to hear preachers falling. Because preachers put them under conviction and preachers torment them. And preachers, come on, are you with me right now? Preachers call them to a high standard in God. And so they love to hear preachers falling because now they don't have to have such a high reverence level or fear. You'd be surprised how many people would just love to see your pastor fall. And I'm not talking about people in the world. I'm talking about people in the church world. Because then they can sit around and they can gloat. You know why? Because they fear. Give God some praise. You know how many people love to see you fall? They would love to see you fall. Because then they don't have to respect you and have reverence of you anymore. And awe for you anymore. Brings you down a little bit in their thinking. And they no longer have to fear you anymore. That's why America loves the garbage. Because I don't like people succeeding. And don't like people being happy. God, I tell you, I'm, I'm preaching tonight. <laughs> Give the Lord some praise. How many love the Lord tonight? Yeah. Proverbs 1-7. I thought they was going to have this up for you. Let's see. Proverbs 1-7. I'll just read it to you. Here's what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction you've got to you've got to find the meaning of life in the Lord you'll never find it in that husband you'll never find it in that wife You'll never find it in that position. You'll never find it. You have to find your purpose and meaning in life in God himself. If you don't, 
then you will constantly walk around life trying to succeed, trying to get higher and higher on the ladder. Why? So somebody can say, Woo, wow. But if you walk in a place that you find your meaning in life in God, you don't care about what people think about you. You're only concerned about the Lord, what the Lord thinks about you. If the Lord is pleased with me, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if you're pleased with me or not if God is. That's pretty powerful stuff, man. It will set you free. You will no longer walk around in intimidation. You will no longer walk around in fear of people. You will understand if somebody comes on that job that's better qualified than you, you don't have to be afraid of them and try to bring them down. And if they do fall, say, yeah, I'm glad you know about it. It's because you know what? God is the one I fear. He gives me a reason for living. He's the meaning of my life. He's the purpose of my life. I don't find it in you. I find it in my God. Give the Lord praise. And again, I'm not telling us to walk around. You know, here's what we do. Here's what we do. When we have a phobia, a people phobia, we have a tendency to put up big walls because we're afraid. And sometimes we, as men, we we get the macho thing going. You know? The macho thing comes up. Because why? Why does that macho thing come? Because I'm afraid of you. That's why. So I got to come across as being real macho and real tough to hide my fear of you. Okay, you with me here? And because we got a problem with authority, we get real tough in the, you know, we get real forward and real, I I don't know if I can explain this to you or not, but we get real forward and we we, we gather all of our wits about us and we're fixing to walk in the presence of of authority. So we gather ourselves up. I'm going to gather myself up right now. I'm walking in there. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to walk in there with a stoic look on my face. And the whole time I'm talking to you, I never crack a smile. You know why? Because I'm afraid you'll see my weakness. If I crack a smile in your presence, but I got to go up there and I can't humble myself in your presence for sure. Uh, No, for me to humble myself in your presence, you see, it's not going to be good for me because I'm looking for my value in you. That's why some people never get a job. You know why they never can get a job or never can hold a job? It's because they've got a problem with authority. I will tell you what you need to do. You need to learn to humble yourself, get yourself a job, and make yourself a living. And walk in the fear of the Lord God Almighty. And if you'll humble yourself under His mighty hand, He is able to exalt you. And it's not the end of the world if somebody don't like me. It hurts. But it's not the end of my world. It's not the end of my world if I lose that job. I'm not going to starve to death if I lose that job. And men are real bad about this. They lose their job. They go into despair and depression like you've never seen. Because they define themselves and their worth by their job. 
And when they're climbing the ladder and everything is going good, they walk around with their chest puffed out and say, praise the Lord, you know. Woo, give me a high five. Jesus, God's good. And all of a sudden they lose their job and everything, it's all over. It's all over. We're all going to die. We're going to starve to death. You know what I'm saying. That's not real. That's not true. Or, well, they don't like me, so nobody likes me. You got a phobia. Just because somebody doesn't like you doesn't mean that everybody doesn't like you. You've got a phobia. You've got a fear of people in your life. It affects everything you do. It affects your decision ability. It affects where you, everything. And if it's not going right with people, then it's all messed up. Everything. Nothing. Nothing. You see it? It's all over. But it's not all over because God is my fear. I fear the Lord God Almighty. He's the one that gives me a meaningful life. He's the one that gives me a purpose for existence. I don't have to cut you down. I don't have to possess my wife. She doesn't have to dominate me. To feel good about herself. Come on. Or me about her. Give God some praise. You're looking for it in the wrong place. My wife can never satisfy me. Nor can I ever satisfy my wife. No amount of money can satisfy you. No amount of education can satisfy you. No... No amount of popularity can satisfy you because it can only be found in God. Amen. And I read in, con in connection with these words here, Phobos in the Greek, in the theological, uh, New Testament, theological dictionary of the New Testament, it says this, the only way out of that situation is prayer. And if you're not praying... God already spoke to us last week and I got a question for you tonight. Have you increased your prayer life? If you have not increased your prayer life, then you're still walking in phobias tonight. You're still trying to find value in what you're doing or who you are in everybody else's eyes. Your relationship with God is the only thing that can bring meaningfulness to you. Give God some praise. <clears throat> you know what? Men, some men, they have a divorce, go out and commit suicide. Because you know what? They see it. It's all gone. There's nothing left. That's not true. Give God some praise. They had a phobia. They wrapped themselves up in one person to the point that they possessed them and oppressed them. Hallelujah. Give God some praise. And that person left them and they committed suicide. Because they found their value in somebody else. Are you understanding this word tonight? Prayer is the only thing that will get you out of that situation. Give God some praise. Look at your name and say, it's not all over. 
Just because that person doesn't like me doesn't mean it's all over. Just because I, you know, I don't have a job now doesn't mean it's all over. Just because my boss didn't approve me doesn't mean it's all over. Just because my wife do doesn't approve me doesn't mean it's all over. Just because my husband won't give me attention like I want him to give me attention, that doesn't make mean that it's all over. I find it in God and God himself. Give God some praise. God is an awesome God. Watch this. In the book of Genesis, man is created in the image of God. Hallelujah. I tell you what I sense in my spirit. Every time I start preaching the word, you're sitting there wondering if it's going to be worth listening to. Well, guess what? I don't find my value in what you think about what I preach. I don't find my value if you think it's going to be good or not. See, the problem is, while you're sitting there wondering if it's going to be worth listening to or not, you lose the impact of the word that would have been to you while you sit there and wonder if it had been worth listening to. Give God some praise. And so God created man in his image. Genesis 1, it's up here for you, 27. He says this. I'm going to read it out of my Bible. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, him, male and female, created he them. God created you in his image. The word image in his image literally means the presence of something or someone. He created you in his presence, in his full presence. Come on with me tonight. He created you in his image, in his full presence. So now we've got, we're in God's presence and God's presence is in us. And our purpose in life is to go forth and reveal God to everybody around us. That is our reason for existence. That's where you find satisfaction and worth in life is reflecting God to everybody that's around you. Letting people see God in you. That's what it's all about. Give God some praise. But then, come on, are you with me tonight? God gave man the blueprint. He said, this is what it's all about. This is what living is all about. Is to go forth and reveal my presence to everybody in the world. Hallelujah. Give God some praise. Take me to everybody. But here comes another voice. And that other voice comes and says, here's a new blueprint. You don't have to do it that way. You can find your satisfaction and your worth in a substitute. And what is that substitute? Go out and find your value in serving creation rather than serving God. Go out there and find your value worshiping the creature instead of the creator. That's the alternative the devil brings to man. Go out there and substitute with a job. Substitute with a relationship. Substitute with something. Me. And in that substitution, find your value. That is the lying voice that comes to you. That is a lie. I said that is a lie. That is a lie. That blueprint, blueprint is a lie. Romans. I'm going to read you this one. Romans. 
Well, let me, let me do this. I got to stay with Genesis. All right, Genesis 3. I got to stay with him in the back and in the scripture. Watch this. Verse 1. Here comes that other voice. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So he comes to put doubt in the woman's minds about the word of the Lord. Yea, hath God said. Are you with me here? And he's going to present to her a new blueprint. And what happens is man breaks fellowship with God by sin. And when he sins against God and breaks fellowship, verse 10 says this. Are you with me? 310. And he said, I heard the voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. First time you hear man being afraid is after man listening to the other voice, the lie of the other voice, and not God himself. And instead of being a manifestation or a revealer of God, now he has disobeyed the Lord. He's sucked into the blueprint of the devil, and now he is afraid. Did you get that? And go to verse 16, and watch this. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee so here what we got is a people who are supposed to reflect God or reveal God to everybody that they associate themselves with to their neighbor if you will the other voice comes in and says no we can have a substitute for that all right man listens to the lie and as a result of that fear enters into him now it enters into the family relationship and God says this he tells them right here he says thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee what that literally means is this your desire is going to be to your husband women you're going to try to dominate him all the time that's what the word desire don't hey most of us husbands want our wives to desire us <laughs> Thy desire shall be to your husband. All the men would say, praise God. Look, honey, there it is. You're supposed to desire me. But that's not what it means. It means to, to want to dominate and want to control his very action. That you try to find your value and your worth in him. That's what it's talking about. And then it says, he shall rule over you. Which means he's going to dominate you and be a lord over you and try to control you. So what we've got here is the woman trying to control the man. And the man trying to control the woman to try to find value and satisfaction in life. Meet my needs, says the woman. Help me, says the woman. The man says, meet my needs, woman. You're a helpmate to me. And God says to the woman, you go help the man. You go meet his needs without looking for your needs to be met in return. And God says to the man, you go meet her needs without looking for your needs to be met in return. That's the way God says it. And then he says, and watch your marriage flourish. Instead of trying to find your worth and your value in that person and they trying to find it in you. God says you meet their needs, not looking for your needs to get met and your marriage will be all right. 
See, I don't have to have marriage counseling. I just go right to the Bible, and I know exactly what's going on. That woman's trying to dominate and control that man, and that man's trying to be a Lord. No, you're, going, you're under my feet, you know, man. I'm the man here. I'm the man. I, macho, yeah. Come on. Hallelujah. All the men said, praise the Lord. And it's after the fall, and it's after fear has entered in. So now each is trying to find it in the other. And they do it through manipulation and control. I'll give you some if you do what I want you to do. Oh, God. And I'll take your trash out for you if, uh, you know, tonight, in the night season, everything goes my way. So manipulation and control and witchcraft takes place. In the relationship of the home and in the church. Give God praise. Why? Because people have a phobia or a fear of men instead of fearing God. Give God some praise. Romans 1.25. Man listened to the lie of the devil to have a substitute. Here we go. Romans 1.25. Praise the Lord. Here's what the Bible says in the book of Romans. It says this. Who changed the truth of God into a lie. And worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. They started serving creation to find their value. They started worshiping the creature instead of the creator to find the meaning of life. Give God some praise. They listen to the devil. And so we go out and get success. So creation can say, wow. Because we are people focused. And we fear people more than we fear God. Give God some praise. Hello, somebody. So what if they got your position? So what if you lost your job? So what if that person doesn't like you? So what? What's important is what God thinks. Ooh, boy, this is something else, man. Wow, this is awesome. What if she doesn't do what you want her to do? Going to beat her into submission? What if he doesn't do what you want him to do? You going to nag him till, till he goes out and hangs himself? Drip, 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 drip. Like Solomon says, drip, drip. A continual dripping. Contentious woman is like a continual drip. Drip, 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 drip. He's out there like this, and you wonder why. Hello. Praise the Lord. It goes on and on and on. A lot of the problems that people have is because they fear people. They're looking for value, val validation in people. 
They're afraid of him. If they didn't find it in their daddy, they'll try to find it in somebody else. The problem is a lot of times they married somebody just like their daddy was. And if their mama didn't give them the attention they needed, they'll marry somebody that's just like their mama. You know why? Because they're trying to find somebody that'll smile for them. Somebody will say, yeah, you're valuable. And find meaning of life in that person. They go through life with a bondage and a fear and a phobia all the rest of their life. And they don't live the abundant life God has for them. Give God some praise. Wow, this is, this is almost too good to be true, isn't it? That's why it's real quiet. I know it's helping us. When we're all looking down on the floor, playing with the babies, <laughs> and as we're going through the service, it used to, it was, but as we're getting really into it, you know, it's going, I mean, that baby can't even catch your breath. <laughs> it's too close to home, man. Woo, too close to home. Pastor, you're talking to me. It's a little bit too close. So preach another message. Preach on Dan, the book of Daniel. Hallelujah. <laughs> preach, on, preach on the fall of world governments and powers and economic systems. How we can praise the Lord at that. But don't talk to me about it like this, you know. This is, just, this is where I live, you know. And so going back to Luke 10. The Lord is talking about people who hate themselves and who fear each other to the utmost. Samaritans who've been discriminated against all their life. A minority all their life trying to live up to the expectation. They can't do it. Worried that the Jews are going to take their land. The Jews are worried about what are we going to do with this mongrel people that's got a mixture of religion, you know. Oh God, have mercy. See, we can have fellowship with the, with the fellowship, with the brethren. Mm, boy, but I'm afraid to even think about going and preaching in a Baptist church. I mean, because what's everybody going to think about me? What's everybody going to think about me if they hear that I went and preached in the Samaritan church? Woo! Oh, yeah. You know, they don't have it all together. They don't have it pure. They're not pure. They got mixture, all this stuff. And, oh God. and what if God tells you to go preach to them? And you know when you do, everybody's going to be talking about you. Oh, yeah. Oh. 1030, watch this. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Say he went down. It's about 17 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem in those days. And it was, a, I mean, it was about a 3,000 foot drop from Jerusalem to Jericho. So that you literally went down when you were going to Jericho. I mean, it was almost a straight drop down, man. And this certain man who's on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, going down, 
He's traveling on a street that was called in those days the bloody way or the bloody road. And the reason it was called the bloody way or the bloody road is because that people were constantly killed on that bloody way. Thieves and robbers hiding everywhere to jump on you and kill you and take your money in the bloody way. Are you awake tonight? And this certain man is on this highway called the bloody way. And he's going to Jericho. And he falls among thieves. And the Bible says, which stripped him of his raiment. And wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And in the context of the scripture, he was a Jewish man. Watch this. And the Bible says, and by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. This priest was coming back from Jerusalem. It doesn't tell me what he was doing there. But if he was a priest, evidently, he went up there to church. He went to church and he got there and he did the boogaloo and he danced and he shouted. He praised the Lord and he got full of the Holy Ghost. Baptized in Jesus' name. Heard a one God message preached. He doing so good. Walking from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Hallelujah. Just had a glorious service. Here's all the music in the background playing. All the singing that took place. Who he's walking with God. He's walking in the spirit. No he's not. He thinks he is but he's not. Here he is. His whole purpose for living. What gave him meaning of existence was his religious practice. He listened to the lie or the voice of the false devil. The false voice of the devil that said, this is where you're going to find your value. And you're going to find it in religion. So here I am. I'm happy. I got my religion, man. I got my ritual, man. I got it together. I know how to do it. I know how to, yeah. I know how to sing. I know how to go through all the ritual. I know how to observe my religion. And that's where I find my value. Is when I get together with my buddies in the church. And I get together with my preaching friends in the church. And we have a good old time in the church. That's where I find my value. And we sing and we sing and we sing. And we've got the truth. And maybe... He walked by the Samaritan of this story. And he gloated in the fact that we got the truth, but he's got mixture. We got the truth. We got the glory. We got the praise. We got the singers. We got the talent. We got it going on in Jerusalem. But look at that sad, sap Samaritan. He don't even know how to worship God in spirit and in truth. He thinks God's over Mount Gerizim instead of over in Jerusalem. Poor, poor little sad little guy. Not even worth living. But we got it. Watch this. And so on the bloody way, he sees this man here. 
who is a brother, who is a Jew, who's an Israelite. He sees the man on the highway, and the Bible says he very quickly runs away. Did you catch what I said? He doesn't say he run literally, but I'm telling you that literally what he, what he said, he went the other way. He got away from that man as fast as he possibly could. Because what are other people going to think about me if I go down here? You know, I could become unclean ceremonially if I touch this blood on this man. And I don't want anybody to, you know, to say anything about me. You know, I don't want to become unclean. And I'm just, I've got all these happy thoughts about being in the spirit. I've got all these happy thoughts about being in church. And it's all going on with me. Hello, are y'all with me tonight? And what would somebody, and you know, if I go down there and I get my hands dirty, it's going to make me unpure. It's going to make me unclean to get my hands dirty. You ever been there? I don't want to go get in that mess. Man, I'm doing good in God right now. I finally got the victory. I'm praying through. I'm, I'm doing good, you know. I, I don't want to go deal with their mess. Because if I get to get down there and start dealing with their mess, my joyful mind, and, and the, I'm feeling pretty good right now. But if I get down in their mess, I'm not going to feel too good, you know. And I don't want to lose the spirit right now because I'm in the spirit. Don't want to get contaminated. Don't want to get dirty with that. I'm afraid of him. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my purity. And what are they going to say about me? Fear of men caused him to walk away from that man. Are you here tonight? Afraid that he would lose his religious comfort zone that he was in. How can I go down there? Look at my pretty garments here. Look at my priestial robes here, you know. Look at me right here. How, how can I go down there and get dirty? Flies flying all around, blood everywhere, stinking all around. Now listen, I'm fixing to bring this home to you, so don't get too happy right now. Don't sit there and say, oh, terrible priest. What about that unsaved husband you go home to tonight? That you're afraid that's going to make you unclean. Oh, Lord, help me tonight. What about that unsaved wife that you're going to go home to tonight? You know, you've been in church. Woo, ha, yeah, praise the Lord God. But see, you go out of church and you're worried just to have, get involved with that person, you're going to get unclean. You know, they are unsaved anyway. They are filthy anyway. So I can treat them any old way I want to. What about that mother? What about that father? What about that brother? What about that sister that isn't in the faith you're in? But you can treat them like dirt if you want to and like a dog if you want to because they don't believe like you do and they're lost and no good anyway. God have mercy. Hello. You'd be surprised who God tells you to go down to to minister to. 
that no good in your eyes, that no good, unclean, dirty, fly, swarming person that's got filth all over them, that smoker, that drinker that God's telling you to minister to, but you're too good and too self-righteous now, you see. You've been to church and you've got all your stuff together and you've got your needs met and you've got it going your way. And I don't want you to think that you're assigned to everybody. You're not assigned to everybody, nor am I assigned to everybody, but you are assigned to love your neighbor. Now, what does that mean? To love your neighbor is to seek his highest good. It doesn't mean I'm always going to run around and I'm assigned to everybody's problem. What it means, though, if I have the opportunity, I'm assigned to see their highest good. If I love like God loves, I should seek their highest good. Give God praise. I said I don't care if they're saved or not saved. You should always seek that person's highest good. Don't care if they stink, drink. Don't care if they smoke. Doesn't matter. God still created them. I don't care what you think about that boss. He's lost and undone and filthy. But he still deserves for you to try to see his highest good come forth. Give God some praise. That unsaved husband, you are assigned, you are assigned to that person. You should be seeking their highest good. Just because you got, went to church got it going on don't mean you can treat them like dirt. Give God some praise. Is everybody awake tonight? I said, are you here tonight? See, God wants to talk to us. I want you to know that Mike Gray, he said, I have never preached like that in my life. There is an anointing in this house. God is in this place. He said, I have never preached in that kind of liberty before. And I told him this right here. I said, you know why? Because we, reli- we don't want any drop of religion in our church. We don't want any religion in our church. We want to walk with God. And any time a pharisaical spirit tries to get a hold of us, a religious spirit tries to get a hold of us, God's going to stand up in the house and shake us again. How, how many of us have been through that? Well, you know, I'm holy and I'm pure and I'm righteous and I got the truth and all that. But they don't. They got mixture and all that stuff, you know. And, uh, they ain't got nothing to say anyway, you know. So now I can treat them the way I want to. It's not what the Bible's teaching us here tonight. And I really don't want to deal with their trash anyway. You know why? Because I'm so pure. Help me tonight. If this word's not for you, it's for me tonight. I'll own it. I'll take it. Give God some praise. And so because he's afraid, the priest is afraid of the whole situation. He's afraid that he might get defiled. He's afraid of what somebody might say about him. So he runs from it. What you're afraid of, you either hate it or you run from it. Because you've got a phobia. Give God some praise. And it's about time for you to stop running, honey. 
You'll never get anywhere by running from it. This man runs. And here comes a Levite. He's the assistant to the priest. Comes along. And he does a little bit better than the other guy did. He walks over there. And he's coming from Jerusalem going down to Jericho. He walks. At least he goes over there and at least looks at the guy. You know. I mean, he don't do it from a distance like this. Oh, filth. Oh, oh, blood. Oh. Praise the Lord. The Lord our God is one Lord. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, ooh, bloody hoo. Praise the Lord God. Hallelujah. I'm in the spirit. I'm in the spirit. Hallelujah. I'm in the spirit. No good dog. Feel the thing. Sorry. Thing. Oh, Lord. Come on. Let me talk to you a little bit. Let me talk to you a little bit. How do we look at the abortionist? How do we look at the pornographer? How do we look at the rapist, the murderer? Yeah, it's wrong. It's not right. God didn't condone it. But can I tell you something? You should always want their highest good. Give God some praise. And the Levite walks over there. He looks over. He, at least he goes over there and looks. Mm -hmm. But you know what? He's afraid too. Maybe if I help this guy, I'm afraid I might lose my skin. I can't take the risk to help him. It's risky for me to help him. I'm not trying to read into the, into the text tonight. I'm just trying to tell you the way we think. Too religious or it's too risky. Because on the bloody way at times, literally, a group of robbers or thieves would get together. And they would assign somebody to lay down and play like that they had been robbed and beaten. So he goes over and he looks... Let me check this out. Let me see if this is a trick or not. See if this is a decoy here. So that decoy will rise up and get him and rob that person. You with me here? But he finds out that that person is really beaten and has really been robbed. But he's still afraid of the risk that's involved. He's afraid. He don't want to pay the price. He can't take the risk. Are you with me tonight? Can I tell you something about the Lord Jesus Christ? My Lord and your Lord. My Savior and your Savior. Do you know that he went to the cross? In the Hebrews mind. The place of the cross was the place of God's curse. Do you know that when Jesus went to the cross. The Romans even looked at the cross as the place of shame. Do you know the Romans wouldn't even hang their own on a cross because it was too shameful a place? It was reserved for slaves. It was reserved for non-citizens. It was reserved for trash, if you will. 
Never could they or would they crucify a Roman on a cross. In fact, when the judge of Rome laid his hammer, so to speak, down on the desk and said crucifixion, he said the, the shameful place called the cross. As he put a hat on his head, he made that statement. And that's where Jesus went. He went to a place of cursing. He went to a, are you here tonight? He went to a place of shame. And he died for you. And he died for me. But the priest couldn't get down in that place of shame. And the Levite couldn't take the risk to get down there. But Jesus was willing to do it. It didn't matter what people thought about him. He didn't let it, that stop him from doing what God called him to do. You know, Jesus prayed at night. You know why he prayed at night? So he could talk to people in the daytime. You know why we pray in the daytime? So we don't have to talk to anybody. Because we don't want to deal with them. Are you hearing me tonight? Jesus prayed at night and ministered to people all day long. Dealing with the filth and the leprosy and all the stench and the trash around him. Healing the sick. Cleansing the lepers and praying at night. Are you with me tonight? Do you hear? Do you hear this? You know why? Because Jesus wasn't afraid of people. He didn't have a phobia. He feared God. He walked in this world to be a revelation of God to man. He went to where men were. He went and he ate and drank with sinners and publicans and tax collectors. Lord, have mercy. Some of us won't sit down with a lost person because somebody in the church might see us with them and say, oh, and start talking. Jesus did not have a phobia about people. And he did not care what the Pharisees said about him or thought about him. It made no difference to him. He went to the shameful places that are cursed. He went into those places. You know why he was able to do that, church? And I'm coming to a close. You know why he was able to do that? Because he didn't have a fear of people. He loved people with God kind of love. Don't he know who she is? Don't he know that she's a prostitute? If, she, if he knew who she was, if he were a prophet, he would not let her even touch him. He was not intimidated by that. You know why? Because he wasn't worried about catching it. Most of us are worried about catching it. We're worried about catching the impurity or catching that demon. Worried about our reputation. We got a phobia of people. What people think. Jesus wasn't fearful of people. He wasn't worried about catching what they had. You know what he knew? 
he said, you know what? I'm not afraid about catching what they got because I know that when I go there, they're going to catch righteousness. I'm going to walk right in the midst of that field and that curse and that trash and they're going to catch righteousness. I'll lay hands on a leopard and not get leprosy. I'll lay hands on a leper and not get unclean. Because when I lay hands on the leper, the leper's going to get cleansed. The leper's going to get righteousness. The leper's going to get purity. When purity touches the unclean, the unclean is going to catch righteousness. So I wasn't afraid of people. He wasn't. So the priest is not willing to contaminate his religion and the Levite's not willing to take the risk. He's afraid. But here we go. Jesus continues the story. And he says this. He said, a Samaritan. A what? Now remember, he's talking to a lawyer right now. <laughs> Jesus wasn't intimidated by lawyers. See, you've got a priest, religious man. You've got to leave out an assistant to a priest who doesn't want to take a risk. And you've got a lawyer there, an interpreter of the law. Law couldn't do nothing for the man. Religion couldn't do nothing for the man. Come on, somebody. But a Samaritan could. What? Hold on. Everybody in the crowd right now, their ears are like, Whew. what's he going to say about a Samaritan? That old, that filthy villain? That mongrel? Are you awake? Jesus says this. He goes, but a certain Samaritan. Listen to this. He's not worried about what people think about him. What's his other Samaritan buddies going to think about him when they find out he's helping a Jew? He, don't, he, he, he gets beyond that fear. The love of God that's in him takes him beyond that fear. He sees that man, that man, he's discriminated against me. He sees me as nothing. But he gets beyond that fear of that Jew. A certain Samaritan, Jesus said. As he journeyed, came where he was. Watch this. Are you getting the point? Do you see everything that this man, this Samaritan, has to overcome to go and help him? The Samaritans were treated horribly by the Jews. He's got to overcome that discrimination. He's got to overcome that treatment. He's got to overcome all of this reputation, all of that, to go and help that. He's got to overcome the fear. The priest had the fear. The Levite had the fear. But he's got to overcome even a greater fear than they do. Now watch. 
But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. I never read in the Bible one time where a Pharisee ever had compassion. They weren't capable of having a compassionate heart. Never see a Pharisee have compassion. But this Samaritan had compassion on him. The word compassion goes back to the entrails of animals that people would take and offer up as a sacrifice to their deities, their innermost parts of their bodies. And God said about the Samaritan, he had compassion on the man, his very entrails. His whole life was wrapped up in obeying God and not just being religious. You see, they, they had a little glimpse of the God of the Jew. A little, they didn't have it all together. They didn't have all the purity. And they did have mixture. And yes, they were a polluted race. But this man had more of God than that priest or that Levi ever had. He had something inside of him that he had offered to his deity. Move with compassion. It literally means that the, they were moved, he was moved with everything in him. Everything in him moved. But you know what? You can be moved with compassion and not do anything about it. You can see people say, oh, poor thing. Poor thing. Oh, my heart bleeds for him. Poor thing. I know they're really going through some stuff right now. Poor thing. I got compassion on him. And you don't do one thing. Not one thing. Jesus said to the lawyer, do it. Do something about it. Now watch this. Are you with me here? Samaritan. Came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast. Get the picture. L look at everything this man had to overcome, all the fears he had to overcome. What's that Jew going to think about me when he looks up and sees it's a Samaritan that's helped him? He might think that I'm the one that actually did it to him. What could happen if the Roman police shows up and they see a Samaritan over a Jew? That Roman police will think that I'm the one that did the crime. He's overcoming every fear. He's not afraid of people. Puts him on his own donkey. And he becomes the servant to an enemy. Oh, I got chill bumps all over me right now. He becomes a servant to an enemy, to a Jew. Oh, and what if he passes by his buddies? Look at him being a servant to a Jew. Look at him. He's walking and the Jew's riding the donkey. Look at the Jew. He's got, he's got claws bound all around him and oils and wines flowing out of his wombs where he was treated. What's going on here? The Bible says, oh, Lord Jesus, help us. 
See, if we're not careful, we can live for the Lord for a while. And we first get in the church, and we've got this kind of love operating in us. We've got that God kind of love operating in us. And we'll see people on the side of the road need a ride, and we'll pick them up and take them. And they stink to high heaven, but there's something burn, walk, working inside of us. And now we pass them on by. We're no longer moved with compassion. This is an enemy. This isn't a buddy. This isn't a friend. This isn't somebody in the fellowship. And I'm telling you right now, God, listen, God doesn't bail everybody out that wants to be bailed out. So don't take this from, don't take that from this message. I'm preaching on phobia. Not God needing to bail you out every time you, you know, get yourself in a mess. I'm talking about a f overcoming a fear of man is what I'm preaching tonight. Hallelujah. And I had to say that because everybody, they'll take what they want from this message. Say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's me. Put my little, little, little purse right here. <laughs> hmm. Now the pastor's preaching this, I'm going to go ask him to pay my rent. <laughs> I'm not preaching on that, honey. I'm preaching on overcoming fear. And so leave it in the context of what I'm preaching in. So here he goes. He's on the way. And you know what he does with the guy? He takes him over to an inn. He takes him to a hotel. He puts him in a hotel room. Maybe he went to Elegante. The works. And you know what he did? All night long, he stayed with that man, tending to his wounds and ministering to him and serving him. And it's costing him. You know what it's going to cost you to not walk in a phobia or fear of people? Love. And when you love people, seek their highest good, that means you're going to have to forgive. And that's going to cost. I said, that's going to cost. See, if I love my neighbor the way I'm supposed to love my neighbor, that means I'm going to seek your highest good. And also that means I'm going to forgive you. And it's going to cost me sometimes to minister to you. Are you awake tonight? But when you walk like that, guess what? You don't have to be afraid of people. Because it's no longer about you. It's about seeking their highest good. It's no longer about your reputation. It's about seeking their highest good. It's about loving them and forgiving them no matter what they've done to you. It's about pouring in the wounds of an enemy, not a friend. It's about, it's about trying to restore an enemy. I'm not talking about a friend. I'm talking about an, in, a friend, an enemy. I'm not talking about a friend. I'm talking about an enemy. That's, this is where it gets heavy now. This is, this is, this is really where it gets heavy right here. This is practical preaching. It's about willing to pay the price and the cost of forgiveness and loving even an enemy. Oh, Lord. And then seeking it their highest good and trying to restore them. When they have discriminated against you, lied on you, lashed at you because they were afraid of you and intimidated by you. And for you to walk up there and reach your hand out to them is the hardest thing you'll ever do. You can't do it without God. 
But if God is operating in you, you can walk up there and love them just as, and there's no, it's not a hypocrisy. It's not a game. It's not a front. It's just as real as it possibly can be. Come on, are you with me right now? And you don't care what everybody's thinking or saying. Oh, look, look, look. No, 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 no. I got to put this person on my mule and look as a servant to them and take them to an end and put them in the end and tend to their wounds all night long. And the next, now listen to me. Are you hearing me tonight? It's costing him something. Christianity is not free to do whatever you want and get all your needs met. Christianity is going to cost you. Christianity is not this. Give me, 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 give me. What are you going to do for me? Are you going to meet my needs? How are you going to help me? That's not what we're preaching tonight. True Christianity is giving and costly. Y'all getting the message? I said, are you getting the message? Are looking for our value in somebody else's eyes. And are you with me tonight? Okay, let me finish. And then I'll bring some practical application. I'll be done. He walks over there to the innkeeper. Here's what he says. On the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was a neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? He's asking the lawyer that. He's asking the theologians that. All the theologians said, praise the Lord. Watch this theologian. Verse 37. Here's the response of the lawyer. And he said, he that showed mercy on him. He can't even say can't say it. Did you catch that? He doesn't even say the Samaritan. He can't say it. He's so full of fear. He's so afraid. Of the Samaritans. He can't even call him by name. He just says. He that showed mercy. That's all he can say. Then said Jesus unto him. Go and do thou likewise. And I said at the beginning. It means this. It literally can be read this. Go and do what you are not doing right now. And continue to do it. You got to get rid of your phobias and your fears. The Samaritan did. For us tonight, who is the beaten, bloody man 
left on the side of the road, the bloody way. Who is he? Is it that unsaved husband? Is it that unsaved wife? Too you worried about making you unclean? Oh, come on, church. Is it tonight that you're trying to find your worth in somebody else's eyes? As a wife, you're trying to get your needs met by your husband. As a husband, you're trying to get your needs met by the wife. God's saying, you go meet their needs and stop looking for them to give to you all the time. You go meet their needs and watch it come together. Give God some praise. Stop trying to find your value in the eyes of other people. Have a phobia of men. Go out and meet their needs. Praise the Lord. When somebody rises up in your job that's challenging you for your raise or your position, don't lash them down. Don't cut them down. Don't do that. Let God be your fear. Don't try to cut them down so that you don't have to fear them or respect them and have awe concerning them because now they're not quite as high as you thought they were before. Come on, somebody. Don't sit there in the church and when you see people on the platform and you sit there and I feel it in the Holy Ghost to tell you this tonight. You see people sitting on the platform, you sit back there and you're burning, you're madder in hell. You're fired up. Oh, Lord. Right up there. You're just dreading your teeth. You don't hear God. You couldn't hear God preach to you, speak to you all night because you're so mad because you weren't asked to get on the platform because you find your meaning in life and your value in life based on what other people think about you and your position. I used to be the soloist in the choir. But so-and-so took my place. How dare them. Ooh, goody, goody, goody. I heard something bad about them. Ooh, they're about to get removed off the platform. Ooh, now I can get back where I was before. You're looking for meaning in the wrong place. And that brother don't like me. Well, who cares? <laughs> that sister don't like me. I just know the pastor. He don't like me. Every time I go in that church, he looks at me a certain way. I know he don't want me there. I just know he's got it in for me. You got a phobia of people. You got the problem. Give God some praise. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. It's very dangerous to walk in the, the realm of being fearful of men. Because you become possessive and dominating. And I can't take the chance that they would reject me. Because my whole life is in them. I can't. I can't stand the thought of not getting that job. 
can I ask you a question? What if you were to lose it all? What if it don't happen the way you want it to happen? What if it doesn't happen the way I want it to happen? What if this church doesn't go the way I would want it to go? Am I still going to be finding my value in my God? Am I still going to be standing up behind this pulpit and preach the word of the living God? Am I going to keep living for the Lord even if my wife doesn't? Even if my husband doesn't? Even if that brother or that sister doesn't? Doesn't matter. Am I going to keep living for God if I lose my job? I know what I'm talking about. I knew a young woman, and I'm going to let you go. I knew a young woman. She was in the church. She was in the youth group. And friend, she loved God. And she would pray. I know this. I wasn't even a part of that particular church, but I was in another church. But these young people would come over to the church that we were in, and they would pray with us. And there would be a move of God in that prayer room. And she was a prayer warrior. She walked with God. Holiness. She let something get a hold of her. She started dating this, this young man in the church. And she put her whole future into him. And when it didn't work out, she stopped praying. She stopped going to church. And she ended up in the world backslid. I'm talking about because she wrapped herself up in one person. And when it didn't happen the way she wanted it to happen, she threw God out and everything else and said it's over. And she missed God's best. Stop trying to find your value in the eyes of another person. Stop trying, going to get in your education and, and some of you are wasting your time because you want people to see value in you. Stop trying to climb the ladder and get there any way you can just so you can say you're the boss. Stop trying to climb the ladder in the church just so you can say I'm on the platform and I got a leadership position. Friend, it's about walking with Jesus. It's about reaching down there and missing that unsaved husband, that unsaved wife. Oh, are you with me tonight? See, we're real good. We're real good as a, as a people. I'm talking about people of God. We'll go in our prayer rooms and pray for the lost. That's easy. Because the lost are nameless and faceless. It's easy to go in your prayer and pray for the Oh, God, I pray for the lost, Lord. God, that you would send the lost and never go out there and talk to the lost. Because they're nameless and faceless in the prayer room. You don't want to go out there and witness to them because you're afraid of them. You're afraid of them. Full of fear. It grips you, man. It grips you. What if they slam the door in my face? What if they reject me? What if they say no? It stops your witness cold in its tracks. 
You run because you're afraid things aren't going your way. So you run from one place to another place to another place. You've got a phobia and it's affecting your call. You're eating up with it. That's all you can think about is what people think about you and what about this. Oh, you're eating up with it. You live in that phobia day and night. My husband's going to leave me. He comes in 10 minutes late from his job. Where you been? That would drive me up. Just absolutely bonkers. I know, I know you were with somebody in 10 minutes. What is he, a rabbit? You're, 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 you got a phobia, man. <laughs> Lord have mercy. But you live there. You live there. You can't keep a relationship with a friend. You can't. Because you live there. Because somebody comes in your life and you see all your worth in them. And if they start getting a friend with somebody else, you don't like that. You get jealous because, hey, I, you belong to me. I own you. I'll tell you what. The only one that owns me is my God. And the only one that owns you is your God. You don't own me. Nobody, no person owns me. It's a psychotic disease that will destroy your marriage and destroy relationships and destroy your walk with God if you don't get over it. That's right. I know what I'm talking about. And I'm about to let you go in the next hour or so. What time is it? No, it's early. You had a bad experience in a church before. So now you carry all your garbage in that next church you walk in. I've talked to him. I've looked him in the eyeballs. And I said, you're going to have to get rid of that garbage, friend, that you've carried from that other church here. This is not that that other church, and I'm not that other pastor. And you need to stop looking at me through the eyes of that other pastor. I'm not that other pastor. And this is not that other church. you got to get rid of your baggage. you got to throw it out the door. you got to fear of men. Got walls up 10 feet thick. Cause you to run from one place to another. And as soon as we get a little bit of a glimpse about who you really are. Oh yeah, I'm afraid now because I know what I'm about. And out the door you run. Because the word fear is linked to the word run. Hallelujah, church. I said, praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. But you get up in the morning and you pray. And you say, God, I'm asking you to join me today. As I live this life today, I'm asking you to live it through me. And tonight, I'm afraid at night 
So then if you are, pray at night. Say, God, I need you to be with me in the night season. Get rid of my phobias. I got good news for you. That when you think it's all over, and when I think it's all over, and we're so afraid of the future. Listen to me. The Bible says in the book of Genesis, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And the evening and the morning. With God, he starts in the darkest time of your life and always goes to morning. So I don't care how dark it is tonight. God is moving from that place of darkness to bring you into a brand new morning. So never say it's all over because it's not all over. I don't care how dark it is in your life. Let's stand. In closing, I want to read Revelation 1 and uh, verse 17. Let God be your fear. Hey, come on. Are you with me? Some people live their life through their children and mess their children up. They do. They live their life through their children and mess their children up. They try to live their marriage through their children and mess their children up. Praise the Lord, church. We got it in here. It's not just out there. We got phobias in here, man. The Samaritans lived in their imaginary world about the Jews. And the Jews lived in their imaginary world about the Samaritans. And believed everything that they thought in their minds. Revelation 1. You got time for me to finish this? Two more scriptures. God's good. God's good. Some of you are going to just completely change your approach in things. And it's going to blow your husband's mind or your wife's mind. Your boss's mind, your fellow worker's mind, your friend's mind, your enemy's mind. Yeah, because you're going to stop trying to live your life through them and getting that worth out of their eyes. Revelation 1 and verse 17. This is very important in this hour. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, his, laid his right hand upon me and said to me, Fear not, I am the first and I am the last. This is a prophetic word from God to you, from Jesus to you. He wants you to know, don't be afraid of people. You cannot be afraid of people, especially if you end up going through this prophetic season, I believe, that we're about to enter into. If all you're worried about is people, you'll never make it. Fear not, I am the first and I am the last. And Psalm 23, this is what the Lord says. Psalm 23, and I believe it's verse 4. Yep. Watch this. Are y'all doing okay out there? Trying to help us. I'm telling you, I, I'm getting tired of living in this very strange phobia world, man. Well, I think I'll just read it from there. Yay. You know, I, I called Brother Sniper the other day. You know what he said? He didn't say, hello, Pastor. He said, yeah. 
He's losing his fear, <laughs> his respect. Yeah. I gave him a hard time all day long. I called him all, night, all day long, didn't I, Sniper? I told him, I said, if you can't say hello, say way. And Sister Lisa laughed, and she laughed, and she laughed, and I never knew what she was laughing about. And I come to understand that them's fighting words. <laughs> in, in the Hispanic culture, of course, the Hispanic culture is so upside down. And so I had to explain to her that way is a Chinese word. That means hello. <laughs> just next time I call you, just say way, Pastor. <sighs> Not, yeah. Like, what do you want, you know? My feelings were hurt all day long. I found my value and worth in him. <laughs> he let me down. <laughs> Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I'm in your image. I've got your presence all around you and your presence in me, and I'm going out to reveal you to all people around me. And because of that, I'm not afraid, because you're with me. I don't care what happens. I don't have to walk in a phobia. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. See, are you hearing me, what I'm saying? This is right where we live. We worried about everything. We worried about how they're going to treat us, what they're going to think about us, what we gonna, what's going to happen to me next. Are you funny? You're supposed to be Christians. I'm supposed to be a Christian. Well, hello? Way? 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 That's Mandarin Chinese. Hello. Get, look at your neighbor just tell him, get over it. If a Samaritan can do it, so can the church. Well, just look at the way they treat me. Oh, never going back there again. You'll do you're gonna die and go to hell okay y'all ready to go home <laughs> this is too heavy for you sorry y'all didn't run and shout tonight God was still here tonight where do you find your value who gives you your meaning for life it must be your God or you'll pervert every relationship you enter into. I love you. God bless you. Now we all need to pray that we'll walk in this and put it to action. Jesus said, do it. Do it. Love y'all. Praise the Lord. Let you never say way. 
<laughs> so, oh boy. Now don't start talking like that. Sorry, Nora. <laughs> I love y'all so much. God loves you. Amen. Walk in these things, move in these things, and you'll see your life turn completely around. Amen. See you Sunday if the Lord doesn't come back and get us.